We're continuing in our series and uh, uh, through the uh, seven signs in the book of John, seven signs of Jesus in the book of John. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of John with me, and then we're going to be looking there. Uh, last week, we talked about how Jesus turned water into wine. Something happened to me this morning that, that, that really has never happened. And uh, I don't know if I was th- so thrown off that Josh was playing drums and I wasn't going to have to play drums, or if I was thrown off by Josh's hat, New York Giants hat, or if I was, I was just not sure what, what the deal was, Matt. Yeah, tell him, Matt. Tell him. We got people on both sides. We're about to, about to have something go on here. Giants fans and Patriots. Anyway, uh, we're gearing up for football season. But um, I, was standing, I was sitting over here getting ready for worship. Ian was doing announcements in the 830 service, and I, ha- I have this program uh, called Evernote where I, can, um, I put my sermons on my computer and then it syncs with my iPad and my phone. And so throughout the week, if I you know, have an idea or something like that, I can put it in Evernote and make sure I remember to say it. Well, I was sitting down there and I knew there was something I wanted to make sure that I, I said. And so I pulled up, went to pull up the sermon. I never put it in Evernote this week. And so I had my iPad up here. It was all set up. But the message wasn't on here. And so I had to go and grab my iPad real quick and run back to my office and make sure I got the message on here because God forbid we preach just the word with no notes. Anyway, that's a different message. All right. Um, wouldn't that be fun? Wouldn't that be fun? Just show up to church. Hey, no, no preparation with the music. We're just going to get up here and play and we're just going to open the word of God and we're just going to see what happens. I think the risk there is that we might actually have like a five-hour service and some people would have issue with that. But anyway, anyway... Um, that might be fun. We might, we might try that sometime. We might try that sometime. Maybe, we, maybe during an outdoor service. Just show up and just see what God does. Um, but uh, excited to, again, be with you guys this morning. So John chapter 2, the second sign that John records. And we talked about last Sunday, and I just want to bring everybody up to speed. We talked about last Sunday how John's gospel is different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Right? The four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke... Right? They're much more descriptive. They talk about the birth of Jesus, the nativity. They go into a little bit more detail, especially Luke. Uh, Luke is a doctor, and so he's super detailed. He transcripts the whole thing and, and just um, and, and, uh, and does a great job with, with uh, details and all of that. But, but my favorite, it's hard to say that too. Like my, I, I'm not sure I have a favorite gospel, but if there's one that I point people to the most, it's probably the gospel of John. And here's why phenomenal storyteller, right? He's the guy you want sitting around the fire with you and telling you, telling you the stories of Jesus. And, um, and so uh, that's what we're looking at. And in the first 11 chapters, he talks about seven signs of Jesus. Now, what were the signs for? Who can remember last week? What did the signs do? They pointed to what? What was it? The crucifixion? His authority, right? His authority. You were in the first service. That's cheating. All right, but anyway, uh, his authority, right? That he was indeed the Son of God. In most of, the, most of the signs, as we'll see, he's pointing to his mission. He's pointing to his ultimate mission, the cross, right? And that he came, and we're going to see that today, that Jesus points to his death on the cross, his resurrection. He points to his ultimate mission. But a sign was really pointing to something greater, Right? We talked about how last week that, that no one's bucket list has a list of signs that they want to see before they die. 
right? Like, I want to see a sign for the Grand Canyon. No, you want to see the Grand Canyon, right? You know, um, no, nobody says they want to, you know, uh, see a sign for, um, which, which has happened to me, um, Madison Square Garden. I saw a sign for Madison Square Garden. I was so close. I was like a quarter of a mile away from Madison Square Garden, but I didn't actually see Madison Square Garden. It was so sad. Tear. Anyway, um, but, but uh, so the signs point to something greater, and the something greater for Jesus was his mission indeed, but it was also why he came, his authority, they, that he came in authority. I did an online uh, family retreat this past week for families affected by disability down in North Carolina. A bunch of families hopped on, and, and, and our theme was wonder. And, it, and, and what we did was we opened up with the burning bush, Moses at the burning bush, and we went all the way through to the Red Sea, right, where the Israelites passed on dry land and, and the Egyptians didn't. Um, and, and, and we looked at the whole story in Exodus from uh, Exodus 3 till, till uh, the Red Sea, which I think is Exodus 14, and, and looked at the 10 plagues and everything in between. And one of the things that strikes me about the book of Exodus, right, and, and what God's interaction with Moses is at the burning bush, you know, and, and if you're not familiar, God comes to Moses through this burning bush and basically calls him to go set the Israelites free from Egyptian rule, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, oh baby, let my people go. It's not in scripture actually, but it's a song. Anyway, and, um, and, and, and God's calling Moses to this and then Moses has some responses, right? Some excuses. Moses says, I'm a nobody. Moses says, I'm incapable. Moses says, I have a speech impediment, right? I can't speak clearly. And, 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 and even one or two more excuses. You know what strikes me about that? With God's call of Moses and Moses' excuses? God never denies Moses' excuses. God never says, oh, Moses, you're not a nobody, Oh, Moses, you know, you, you speak just fine. You speak just clear. I mean, you're, you're great. No, like God says, yeah, Moses, you're a nobody, but guess what? I'm somebody through you. God says, yeah, Moses, you can't speak clearly. That's why I'm going to send Aaron to go with you so that you can tell Aaron what to say and he can speak clearly and he's, he's better with words. And it just struck me so much this week as we were doing this retreat that, that, that God's... Um, uh, God's plan in Moses, right, that, that God didn't coddle Moses. That God said, no, you're going to go accomplish my work, right? I'm going to give you, and, 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 and Moses said, here it is, Moses, one of his excuses was, I have no authority. And what authority do I go to Pharaoh and set these Israelites free? And God, again, didn't deny that Moses had no authority, right? He said, no, you tell him I am sent you, that I am who I am. And that you have all the authority, right? And we see in Matthew chapter 28 for our commission, for our call, go, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples, right? And so we're seeing these signs point to the authority of Christ, that he is the same yesterday, today, and in the future. And, and I don't know about you, but man, I, that, that gets me pumped up right there, and that wasn't even part of the message today. And so John chapter 2 Second sign is this, the cleansing of the temple. The cleansing of the temple. Uh, and, and what this story tells about is the tremendous cost of freedom. And we learn how Jesus purchased our freedom through his sacrificial devotion, which culminated in his death on the cross. And so I'm going to back up to verse 12 
And we're going to read through the story. And it says there in John chapter 2, verse 12, After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother. So after the wedding, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples. And he stayed there for a few days. He stayed there for a few days. Then we see verse 13. The Passover of the Jews was at hand. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. Verse 18, so the Jews said to him, what sign, there it is, what sign do you do, or excuse me, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days? Verse 21, but he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Now, before we get into the setting, because again, it's important for us to get the setting with these signs, to see the power that is behind these signs. But before we go there, I just want to make sure we have a clear, con- a clear picture of what's happening, right? A clear picture of what's happening, Jesus cleansing the temple. Okay, now Jesus goes up for Passover. Uh, spoiler alert, that's the setting, okay, that we're in Passover, okay? And, and, and he goes up for Passover. He walks in the temple, and he sees, and he sees some people selling animals, right? We're going to get more into that. Why? Sheep and oxen and all of that. And what does Jesus do? He makes a whip, a whip to drive the people out. He grabs rope that's around, probably to use to tend to the animals and different things like that. He, he, he braids it together, probably. He makes a whip of cords, it says, to drive everybody out of the temple. That's cute, isn't it? That's precious, right? Real, real nice and gentle. Nice and gentle. Anybody ever? Never mind. Don't, don't raise your hands. Don't raise your hands if you've ever been. Nope, nope, nope. No, we're not going there. Right? But it makes a whip. And then, and then, and then we see... That John says he overturned the tables and the coins um, and the coins went everywhere. He was probably in the middle of a building project, but anyway, um, um, the coins went everywhere. Now I want I want I want to get this. I want to get this because I think it's important that we get this. All right. Now I don't read, fellas, when Jesus overturned the tables, that he walked up to a table and went like this. And then he went over to the next one. I, no, I shouldn't do that. Okay, everything else on here is fragile. Okay, right? Right? That, that's, not what we, that's not what we see. No, Jesus went over and flipped the tables. Right? He flipped the tables. And a lot of us, a lot of us have a hard time grasping this story. We have a hard time wrapping our minds around this story. Why? Because we have an image of Jesus in a field with a sheep and just petting it. 
right? I mean, that's real, right? Those are, the, those are the images that hang in our Sunday school classrooms. Those are the images we see online. Those are the beautiful paintings. And, and there's, a, there, there's, a, there's a beauty in the fact that Jesus is the Lamb of God, right? And so I'm not, I'm not mocking that. I'm not making fun of that. Okay, I'm not picking on that by any means. There's beauty in that, okay? And I appreciate that beauty. But listen, that's the picture, this gentle Jesus, but Jesus walks up in the temple, and, 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 and a lot of times we forget this story. He walks up in the temple, makes a whip, drives everybody up out of the place, and flips the tables and says, my house will not be a house of trade. Why did he do this? Because Scripture says he was passionate for the house of God. He was passionate for the house of God. His disciples remembered, verse 17, that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. I love that. Zeal for your house will consume me. Can somebody get up excited up in church this morning? Because zeal for the house consumes us. And so to be able to identify this, I want us to be able to get here. I want us to be able to identify why Jesus did what he did. Have you ever done something extreme? Have you ever gone, like, have you ever gone to the extreme and maybe done something that you wish, looking back, you hadn't have done because you were passionate about something? Maybe said something to an umpire last Saturday at your 10-year-old daughter's softball game? I didn't kick dirt on him. He wasn't close enough, or I would have. Just kidding. I'm just, he was a good umpire. He did good. We had fun. He and I. But, but you get the picture, right? We've all done some stuff. Herb, Herb had a confession time after the first service. He came up to me, and he talked about a few times where zeal overtook him, passion overtook him, and he did some things that he ended up fixing for months later after he did them. And I thought, I thought, yeah, I mean, that's exactly it, right? And, and you know, and you know, and you know why for many of us, if you're a dad in the room, you know why, right? If you're a mom in the room, you know why. Zeal overtakes us a lot of times. Passion overtakes us a lot of times when it has to do with our kids. When it has to do with our grandkids, right? I'm not, I'm not there for another like 80 years, but I'm, I'm sure it will, right? Just because I know how passion and zeal overtake me when it comes to my kids, right? And, 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 and that's what happens. And we see here, we see here that zeal is overtaking Jesus in his house because he's worried about his kids. He's worried about the people in the temple that are worshiping. Why? Okay, let's go to the setting, right? The setting is the Passover. Now, this was a pilgrimage feast, right, that all Jewish men would have been involved in. They would have been involved in. So Jesus travels, right, to Jerusalem, to the temple, to, to, to participate in the feast, okay, and he goes up in the house, and they're selling animals. Now, what was important is during Passover, everybody had to offer a living sacrifice, i.e., an animal, Okay, Peter wasn't around back then, all right, an animal. And this greater points to Jesus. Why? Because Jesus became the ultimate sacrifice. And so with Jesus clearing out the temple, he's also saying, hey, you don't need this anymore. I'm here. You don't need this anymore. You don't need to offer animals 
and sacrifice. Okay? I'm the perfect sacrifice. I'm the one that's going to satisfy all of your sins. So you don't have to offer an ox or a lamb anymore for forgiveness of your sins. I'm here. Okay? And what had happened was just like at sporting events, right? Anybody ever gone to a sporting event and saw guys scalping tickets, right? And, 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 and what, do you, what, what do you notice? That the, a lot of times they get as close to the stadium as they can possibly get. Now, this would have been the same in this time, okay? Now, now, now it wouldn't have been practical for you to travel miles and miles and miles carrying an animal for sacrifice, a live animal for sacrifice. And so what these merchants were doing is they were setting up shop right in the temple as close as they could get to where these people would get off of their donkeys or in their travels and go in and offer the sacrifices. So they were just getting, they were trying to make it more convenient for their customers. Here's the problem. In this time, now again, I know some of us have so many issues with this story, but in this time, Jews worshipped deeper in the temple, Gentiles worshipped in the outer courts because Gentiles were considered ceremonially unclean. And so these merchants with the ox and the sheep had set up shop in the area where the Gentiles were trying to worship. And so Jesus comes in making the whip, driving people out, saying my house is not to be a house of trade, right? Because he's pointing to the greater sacrifice, but he's also caring for his kids and his children, the Gentiles who are trying to worship in the house, but are being distracted by the oxen and the sheep making noise. And, and, and not to mention, how did that smell? You guys see this? And so now it brings it to life. And hopefully you can identify a little bit, right, with the passion, the zeal that Jesus comes up into the house with, right? Because he's bothered by the fact that these people can't worship. And I want you to see something. I want you to see something. It's important to note that John did not, did not include this as a, as a, as a justification for lashing out when you're angry. Listen to me, fellas. Don't go home today. You hearing me? And at dinner time, get a whip and flip the tables because your meal's cold. Turn the PGA Championship off sooner and get to the table while the meal's hot. Okay? Or pause it. So then when you get back to your TV, you can fast forward through some of the commercials. Amen? Okay, see what I'm saying? This is not a justification for lashing out when we're angry. This is not a justification for going and, and ripping that umpire or that referee a new one. Somebody, somebody said earlier when I, in the 830 service, when I asked, um, you, know, why, you know, why people do that, and I, I, I was talking about because their parents and their kids, somebody said because basketball, right? Apparently, they've heard some stories about me in my former day. Anyway, this is not a justification for lashing out when we're angry. I know we'd all like it to. I know we would all like to point out to times when, you know, there, there was this or there was that, or I, I, I responded in outrage or, or got angry, but Jesus did not say he was angry. That's the point. Jesus did not say he was angry here. John never commented that Jesus was angry. That's not what this story is about. This story is about the nature of Christ and the purpose of Christ and the mission of Christ and what he came to accomplish. This story is about the mission of Jesus, church. 
and his passion for his mission. His passion for his mission. Psalm 69.9, zeal for your house will consume me. Passion for your house will consume me. Oh, oh, that we would take that as a challenge right there and pray and go home. Don't get too excited. Got three more points. Oh, that we would take that right there. God, make this our prayer. Passion for your house will consume me. That's not the building. That's not, the, that's not what Jesus is talking about. The, 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 the Jews are all worried. Just destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it. The Jews are like, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. We just spent 46 years building this temple. And Jesus is like, no. Remember, I'm here. The temple is no longer the structure. It's your hearts. It's your hearts. Oh, that zeal would consume us for the hearts of the people. That we're around. Listen, I know it's the way it's got to be. I know it's the way it's got to be. I know it's the way it's got to be. But man, I walked back there. This is the first Sunday that we've been gathering back together. I haven't played drums, so I've got a little bit more freedom. I can stand in the back and watch y'all sing. Or stare at the screen for some of you. And, uh, and, and I'm standing back there and just, just watching. Because I know for a few of you, this is your first time back to a live service. And we're so glad you're here. And I just look back there and I'm like, man, this is not the way it's supposed to be. This is weird. Awkward. Oh, the zeal for his house would consume us. Passion for the church would consume us. So the first thing that Jesus does here, three things we've got to talk about. We've kind of already talked about a couple, but I want to I reiterate them maybe in a different way. And the first one is this, Jesus addresses the problem. Right? Jesus addresses the problem. What was the problem? They were infringing on the Gentiles' worship. Right? They were infringing on the Gentiles' worship. There was a problem, right? And they were trying to make a profit. They were trying to make a profit, and it was obvious it was obvious that Jesus was displeased with this. And so he fashions this whip out of ropes that were lying about the place. And he drove the men out. He drove the animals out. He, 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 he flipped the tables of the money changers, sending their, their coins ringing here and there on the pavement. And the Lord had suddenly come to this temple and had cleansed it. Had cleansed it. Had cleansed it. Because they had turned his house into the equivalent of a Jewish Walmart. Maybe a Walmart Express, because they didn't have everything, right? They just had a few, anyway. But the application here for us is how often in our own lives do we avoid the real issues in light of what's easier or more comfortable? How often do we let things go because, oh, that's not a hill I'm willing to die on, when really... Not saying something is just easier or more comfortable. And you know what jumps out at me this morning at this passage? I 
And, and I've got to tell y'all, I've been fighting with God for 72 hours. I told God on Thursday when I left the, when I left the building and put the message down and sent the message to, to Jeff so that he could do the slides and all that. I was like, God, we're not talking about this message for the next couple of days. I need a minute. I need a minute. Because this isn't easy. But we've got to talk about it. What did, Jesus, what, what did Jesus do here? What was, he, what, was he, what was he so passionate about with his kids? He was, passionate about, he was passionate about not only their worship, but the unity of their worship. The unity of their worship. Right? The fact that the, the, fact that the, 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 the Gentiles were being so discredited here, that their worship was being so discredited here, and so Jesus is going in and he's fighting for the unity of his church. He's fighting for the unity of his church. I said this at 30. Man, give me, give me one person. Give me one person that will fight for the unity and the zeal and with passion in their church over 10 Bible scholars that just want to sit around and talk about information. Give me, give me one person that will come up in the house with zeal and with passion and will defend and fight for the unity of the church over ten people that can spout off Greek and Hebrew left and right. We've lost the passion for His house. The passion for His church. You want to know... You don't know what I think the biggest enemy to unity right now is? Thanks. Appreciate it. I'm glad you nodded your head, man. It's good. That we think we're right all the time. No. Back up. Don't write that down in your notes. Back up. We need to say that a different way that we know we're right all the time. It's a lack of humility. It's a lack of humility. Hear me, church, and I'm not just talking about, I'm not just talking about Summit, but I am talking about Summit. I'm talking about the church as a whole. I'm talking about the church... I'm talking about the church of America, the church of the world, the church of Jesus, the gospel preaching, proclaiming church, the, God, the church that celebrates that my friend on Friday was leading a Bible study in FCA down in South Carolina, and 30, 30 teenagers, Josh, 30 teenagers gave their life to Christ Friday down in South Carolina, that even in the midst of a pandemic, he's moving over Zoom in different places and different platforms, and 30 people met Jesus Friday morning. Isn't that awesome? Come on, somebody. Get excited. Get excited. Get excited. And we've seen the miracle of humility. I mean, three years ago, three years ago, a friend of mine named Russ Willette stood on this stage, and he stood on the stage 2.1 miles away, and he said, listen, if you're going to talk about merging churches, you've got to lead with humility. You've got to lead with humility. We're sitting in the fruit of humility at Summit. 
South Coast, South Gorham, Merge. Some of you are like, I wasn't even a part of that. You're sitting in the miracle. Right now, you're, you're experiencing the miracle of humility. A group of people that decided, you know what? I'm going to lead with grace and truth, and I'm going to have humility with the person next to me, with the person down the street from me, because I believe in something greater. I believe in something deeper. And we merged, and God has done amazing things the entire time. And it started with humility. Humility. And that was hard. You take two churches and join them together? Like, that's not, that's a God thing. And it happened with humility. God things happen when we lead with humility. Listen, what am, I, what am I trying to say here? Jesus is cleansing the temple. What am I trying to say here? I'm trying to say that maybe we need to step back and say, I might not be right. I might, I might need to check my own heart here. I might need to do some things here. Because Jesus is fighting for truth, right? He's fighting for the unity of the church and truth here. And yet we're fighting for the unity of the church over preferences and opinions. Come on now. Come on now. Come on now. And so listen, I'm not, I'm not preaching at anybody. I'm not preaching at anybody. This isn't something I want to talk about. I'm not preaching at anybody. I'm preaching to myself. Because I woke up this morning coming into church, I was angry. Angry. The toll that meant, meant, okay, I'm not going to make it about me, but I was frustrated. I said, God, I'm supposed to preach. I'm supposed to preach three times a day. I don't want to turn into a toddler. Like we do when we blow out our knees, right? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's not true. Turn into a toddler this morning. I'm like, God, I'm not doing it. Ian can do it. (laughs) Somebody else has got today. And God's like, yeah, that's humility. And I had to deal with my own heart. Okay, like what, what are my thoughts, feelings, and emotions, and what's truth? And, and I've heard the things, I've heard the things, and listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. People have said, this is God's judgment. Right? People have, said, people have said some crazy things, right? And I don't, I, don't, I don't buy that. I don't buy that, right? People have said things on the other end of the spectrum that I don't, you know what I'm saying? But, but, but here's, the, here's my question. What if it is? Am I too proud to check my own heart and say, God, where am I in this? Are there some things that you need to deal with me on this and let's talk about checking our heart for just a moment because a lot of us are like yup check my heart I'm right come on man right are you willing like listen to me listen to me I was listening to a podcast yesterday while I was mowing the grass and and, and listened to a, a, a story of this family that fasted for 30 days 30 days and prayed 
and, and, and sought the heart of God, right? Are you willing to go through those types of measures before you stand up and criticize somebody or judge somebody or condemn somebody with, with where we're at right now? Are you, like, are we willing to go that far and say, okay, God, listen, I'm, I may not be right. I think I'm right because I'm awesome. You made me awesome. You ought to know, right? But there may be some things here, God, that you want to show me. There may be some brokenness here, God, that I need to deal with. I told the story in the 830 service. I'm going to tell it here too because I, you know, I want you to hear it. Man, I, I will never forget a guy by the name of Ken Smith. Ken Smith, man, he, he, um, he was on the search committee that brought me here. And uh, I was reminded of him the other night. We were eating some dinner with some friends. And uh, I, was, I was reminded of, of him. And, and, uh, and, and Ken Smith used to sit right over there behind uh, John and April. And um, in fact, if you see the stain on the carpet right there, that's probably John and, uh, Ken and Johnny's coffee stain. But anyway, they used to sit right over there every Sunday. And, and, um, and, and Ken would walk up to me from time to time, literally probably once a month, maybe once every six weeks. He'd walk up to me at the end of church and he'd say, Travis... I can't stand our music. I just can't. And he would say it like I had never heard it before. Like he would say it like I'd never heard it before. You remember Mary Lou? You remember Ken and Johnny? Right? They would tell you. And they'd want, he'd, but, but he'd say, but it is reaching people with the gospel. And so I am all for our music. And I'm like, well, you don't, that's awesome, Ken, but you don't have to tell me. Like, like, you don't have to tell me, right? But he, he just constantly reminded me of the fact that, that hey, I'm not going to put my preferences, I'm not going to put my opinions, I'm not going to put those things before the worship of God in the house, right? I'm not going to do that. In humility, I'm going to lead with grace and truth. I'm going to lead with grace and truth. And that's what we see here in cleansing the temple. How often in our lives do we avoid those real issues, even our own hearts, right? And do a business in our own hearts in light of what's easier or more comfortable. Number two, I want us to look at the reactions of Jesus cleansing the temple, verses 18 through 20, right? And so the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy the temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. Look at the response of the Jews. The Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days. Now, a couple important things to remember here from last week. Uh, C.S. Lewis said, God does not do parlor tricks, right? And, and so every sign that God did, every miracle that God did in the Gospels and all throughout Scripture had a purpose, had a purpose that God was trying to communicate to His people. And every sign and miracle that we see in Scripture demanded a different, a, 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 excuse me, a response, a specific response. Okay? So every sign had a purpose and has a response. All right? The purpose here, cleansing the temple, unity of the church, pointing to the, 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 the sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice. Right? Response, response, the response of the, uh, of the Jews here, right? Uh, the Jewish leaders demand to see a sign to prove his authority. Jesus always resists these demands. Anytime he's given demands. And, and what does he do? He points to the future. He points to the future. 
He's like, you're going to destroy this. And listen, Jesus is fresh on the scene here. Remember, last week was his first miracle. John chapter 2, we're fresh on the scene here. Jesus is just 30 years old, right? And, and, and he goes to the cross at 33 and a half, so he's still got three and a half years of ministry. But he's pointing three and a half years ahead where he's saying, you're going to put me in the ground, and three days later, I'm going to raise. And the disciples watched in amazement. Look at the disciples' response. You skip down to verse 22. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Last week, it says that they believed in him. This week, they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken, right? And so that was the response. And John tells us that when the disciples saw Jesus' display of passion or outrage, they remembered the prophecy from the Old Testament in Psalm chapter 69 where David wrote in verse 7, For it is for your sake, Psalm 69, 7, that I have borne reproach, that dishonor has covered my face. Look at this. I have become, is it on there? Yes, good. I have become a stranger. To my brothers, an alien to my mother's sons. For zeal for your house has consumed me, this is David, years before Jesus, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. Verse 10, when I wept and humbled my soul with fasting, it became my reproach. When I wept and humbled, my soul with fasting. I want you to see here, David had become an outcast. David had become an outcast, right? I mean, I mean, we see there in verse 8, I've become a stranger to my brothers, an alien to my mothers, and the sons. Why? Pursuing the things of God, zeal for the house that overcome him, passion for the house that overcome him. And, li- and, and listen, 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 we've got to expect this. Jesus says, listen, if they persecute you, me, they're going to persecute you if you follow me. And we forget the sacrifice that it takes to follow Christ. The sacrifice that it is for worship. We're going to end with that in just a minute. Romans chapter 12. Right? If you're going to come after me, you've got to, remember this, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. That's the response here. Zeal for your house has overcome me. The cost for our freedom included the unwavering suffering and devotion of our Lord. And then number three, we see that Jesus came to clean our hearts. Jesus came to clean our hearts. We know Jesus was speaking figuratively. Later, he explained in verse 21 that the temple he speaks of is his body. The raising of his temple is resurrection on the third day. And it's interesting that later the disciples remember this and can have faith in Jesus' resurrection. In in John chapter 1, verse 14, Jesus' body, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen the glory of God. We've seen the glory of the one and only. And one of John's major purposes was to emphasize this. The legal system has ended. And grace and truth have come through Christ. The legal system has ended. And grace and truth have come through Jesus. He's the new sacrifice. He's the new temple. 
John will tell us later in John chapter 4 that the new worship will depend on inward integrity, not outward geography. Jesus still cleanses the temple. But now as he said in the scripture today, he cleanses the temple, your body of the sin. He fashions a whip and strikes it out, carries it far from you to protect you and to clean you. Jesus is in the business of doing this. I was talking with somebody on Friday, and, I was, and um, I was reminded of the story that's recorded in Matthew 9, Mark 2, Luke 5, where there's this paralytic that's carried by four people and carried into the town, and in the town, the houses were so small, but house was so full that they couldn't get this paralytic in front of Jesus. Jesus, the, the, these, these four people were just trying to get this man before Jesus so that Jesus could heal him. But the house was full. And so what they did was, which I love this, you want to talk about a brotherhood, you want to talk about a sisterhood, Whew. somebody that carries you enough to climb you on top of the roof, dig a hole in the roof and lower you before Jesus. That's love. That's brotherhood. That's sisterhood. So these four people, they climb up on the roof, and the, roo- the roofs back then were clay, and so they would, would have dug a hole through the roof big enough to lower this man down right in front of Jesus, right in front of Jesus, right? Again, um, Matthew, Matthew 5, no, Matthew 9, Mark 2, Luke 5, you can look it up. Um, all three of the other Gospels record this story. And they lower, Jesus and, they lower this man in front of Jesus, and Jesus looks at the man and says, Behold, your sins are forgiven. Behold, your sins are forgiven. Awesome, right? But he's still paralyzed. And it's almost like an afterthought where Jesus says, oh, okay, get up and walk. She didn't notice something. Jesus is in the business of healing the heart first. Jesus may not make your circumstances better. Jesus may never heal your body. Jesus may never heal your circumstances, but he can heal your heart. And that, because you know why? Because that's what he wants. That's what he wants. That's what he wants. He wants our hearts fully devoted to him. If you look at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and again, we're going to close with this. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Paul is writing to the church at Rome, and he says here, he's winding things down, he says, I appeal to you, brothers. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. Hmm. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may be able to discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. What's God saying there? This is your worship. In humility, come to me. Lead with grace and truth. In humility, come, come to me. Present yourself to me. This is your worship. Don't be conformed to the patterns of this world. Be transformed by the renewal of my mind. And then you'll know the why. Because then you'll discover my will. Then you'll discover what it is that I'm up to. Then you'll discover... Why? I was talking with a dad on Tuesday night. His dad has a son with autism. And I was on a small group. He lives in 
North Carolina. And, and, and when, when, um, when everything was sent home and the schools were closed, um, and this little boy couldn't go to church, he started weeping every day because he thought everybody at church hated him. And that's why he couldn't go to church. And this dad, I mean, as you can imagine, right? I mean, this dad just starts bawling. He's like, I can't go to work with my son weeping, thinking everybody hates him, and he just can't understand, right? He's a 12-year-old boy, but he's got the mind of a four-month-old, right? Just can't understand. You've got you to repeat these things and repeat these things and repeat these things. And the children affected by autism, and, and, and so he said, we're, we're, just, we're just coming out of this. It's been four months of him weeping every day, that, 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 that thinking that, that everybody hates him. And I can't work. I can't do that. I can't do Why? Because I'm advocating for my kid. I'm trying to tell my kid, no, it's not that everybody hates you. And so as, as like eight or nine guys sitting on a Zoom call, and this guy's we like, you just, your heart's like broken. Like, man, I would love, I just want to drive down to Charlotte and give this dude a hug with a mask on. It's heartbreaking. And we think, we think, but, th- but listen to me. If we who are evil know how to give good gifts, how much more does our Father in Heaven Love us. He's passionate for your heart. He's passionate for your heart. And I believe today He wants to cleanse us. He wants to He wants to purify us. He wants to bring us back. I love that old hymn. Is it it is well? Prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it. What do you need Jesus to cleanse in your heart today? Where do you need to offer yourself as a living sacrifice and say, okay, God, I'm going to walk in humility. I'm going to lead with grace and truth. I'm going to consider the best about someone else, no matter what, until they prove me wrong. And even then, I'll still love them. We've got to pursue grace and truth. And that leads and that starts, that starts with humility. It starts with humility.